What a privilege to worship the Lord. I've, I've had a thought. This is what I'm going to talk about tonight. But I've had a thought that sort of has been with me yesterday and today. I, and I'm just sharing the thought. I haven't got to dig it out yet. So, But, uh, you know, I've often, we know the scripture that says the Lord, when Jesus said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And you've heard me many times emphasize he said that not those, and I've talked about the lost relationship in the garden, but I've, and and I I still believe that, but I also, I'm, again, it's a thought, I still got to dig this out, but it's interesting to me, when Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost, I started thinking about what was lost in heaven. You know, Lucifer and a third of the angels were kicked out. And Lucifer was an angel of worship. And uh, now I believe the other angels worshiped. But he was, he was an archangel like Gabriel and Michael, you understand? And he was a... He was known for worship. I think it's Michael that was the warring angel and Gabriel was the messenger angel. Lucifer was the worship angel. And then I think of that verse where he was talking to the woman. And he said, the father seeketh such to worship him. Well, you know, when something's lost, you start seeking I just sort of wonder when he said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Is it any wonder he's seeking worshipers? I want to be a worshiper. I want to be a worshiper. Not just praise, worship. Amen. Brother Lewis made mention to the the Bible studies in the Timothy Project. I know many of you have started digging in there. I encourage you, please use that resource on the website. OurLifeChurch.org, and then you'll see the Timothy Project. You can click and see those links. I think there's up to eight or nine Search for Truth Bible studies there now. And if you haven't gone there yet and you think, man, I don't know when I'm going to have time, I'll tell you those studies are 10 to 18 minutes. I know that shocks you. Uh, But they're like 10 to 18 minutes long. They're not 40 minutes or an hour. So honestly, if you feel like, you know what, I could spend 30 minutes here. In 30 minutes, you could probably watch one of the lessons and answer the five or six questions of the questionnaire that are there. And you'll get some, there's just some great fundamental teaching through the scripture. So anyway, our OurLifeChurch.org, the Timothy Project, I think you'll find value in that. Amen? Praise God. The Lord bless you. You can be seated. It's good to see you in the house of the Lord tonight. I want to dive right into the word. Um, I expect that we will probably stay in this vein. um, At least on Thursday night, the rest of this year. I know that's only a few weeks. Um, And and we'll go. I was giving Brother Jerry verses before service, and I said, I don't know that we'll get this far, but I'll give them to you anyway. So um, we are going to talk 
and look into Scripture uh, at prophecy. Now, I am, I am not by, I'm not a prophecy teacher per se, but I guess if I'm going to teach some prophecy stuff, that makes me a prophecy teacher tonight. Um, this has never been my focus or forte, but the Lord has been dealing with me about some of these things. And I shouldn't say forte, probably more so where I feel like he's called me to minister. Um, but he's been dealing with me about these things in Daniel and Revelation the last month, month and a half. And, I, and the more I've opened up the word and then started digging, the more it just, it just keeps going and going. And I, I know it's something the Lord's doing in me. And so what we're going to look at will be very, we'll look at some high-level stuff that I believe the Lord wants us to have a basic understanding of some things the Scripture teaches that we need to understand so that we don't fall into error, number one. Uh, I believe what we'll teach will give us some firmer convictions about some things. And I pray that by the grace of God and the ministry of His Spirit, you will see with me the beauty of this precious Word. It's so beautiful. It's so precious. And I pray we'll see it tonight. And so let's get going. What do you say? Amen. Amen? Uh, So Daniel, the book of Daniel, chapter number 9. The book of Daniel, chapter number 9. And I'm going to start with the first verse. And I'm going to read quickly. I just want you to, but I want you to see something. Daniel 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Now, this is important. And here's why this is important. And this is a principle for all of Scripture, okay? The reason this is important is... This verse puts a time stamp on something. Does that make sense? We can go back in history and we can say, okay, what was the first year of Darius? Not just any Darius, Darius that was the son of Ahasuerus, who was of the Medes. What was the first year that he was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans? We can go back in history and find that and pinpoint this place in time. So when you see these type of things in Scripture, it's there. Nothing in Scripture is just because, oh, it's convenient to mention that. No, the Lord is putting a time stamp on things, and, uh, and we'll see the importance of that here in a little bit. Okay? So reading a little faster, verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understand by, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face to the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I'm going to pause right here and say this. Some things, when you need to dig in the Word and get stuff out of the Word and get answers from God, the only way you can get them is the same way Daniel got them. We need to set our, there's times where we need to set our face to the Lord God and seek by prayer and supplication and fasting to get answers and direction and understanding from the Lord. Amen? Verse 4, 
And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession. I want you to watch. And he said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. Verse 5, we have sinned. Daniel's including himself. We have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we hearkened to thy servants, thy prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Now I have a question for you. When Daniel said, we have sinned and done wickedly and rebelled, and neither have we hearkened to your servants, who's we? Don't overthink it. Who's, who's we when Daniel's talking here? Israel. Okay, good. All right. Yeah, don't, don't overthink it. There's no hidden thing here. Uh, and we're not going to get very complicated tonight. Sometimes we overthink Scripture. And I want us to see from the word of the Lord how some things are just so clear. If we'll slow down just a minute and let the word speak to us. So when Daniel was saying, we have sinned, we have not hearkened, we have this, your prophets, your, and the people. He's talking about the children of Israel. He's not talking about the world. Daniel is speaking about the children of Israel. We agree? Okay. And you could read this whole chapter and you would, it would become very clear. He talks about what's been done to Jerusalem. He's talking about what's written in the law of Moses. You skip down to verse 11. He says, all Israel have transgressed thy law. So he's talking about Israel. Okay, so skip over in chapter 9. That was all just quick foundation stuff. Skip over to verse number 21. Daniel's been praying, saying all these things, repenting before the Lord, fasting, prayer. Verse 21, he says, Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. Verse 22, And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. Verse 23. I want to pause right here for a minute. I want us to pray together right now. And I want us to ask the Lord to give us understanding. Sometimes when we're walking through things like this in Scripture, we seek to wrap our minds intellectually around stuff. And I believe there's things that will pass through our intellect, but they really need to get understanding in our spirit. Okay? So could we pray together that way right now? Lord, I cast off every care of the day, anything that would try to distract or deter. And I pray that you would grant us understanding in this, your holy word. Anoint our minds, anoint our ears, and anoint our hearts. Grant us wisdom, revelation, and understanding through this, your precious holy word. In Jesus' name, I pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Verse 23. At the beginning, and, and again, Gabriel the angel is still speaking here. 
at the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth. And I am come to show thee. Who did the commandment to Gabriel come from? The Lord. The commandment came forth. I don't know what that does for you right there. But I want you to think about that. A man of God, a human being like you and I, was praying and fasting and seeking God. And God said, Gabriel, I'm commanding you to go give him understanding. He's no respecter of persons. Man, I don't know what that does for you. That does something in my spirit. Makes me want to talk to God a little more. Amen. The commandment came forth, and I am come to show you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. And so now we're going to look at these next few verses. And what we're going to talk about tonight is what often is referred to as Daniel's 70 weeks. Daniel's 70 weeks. They're not his, but they're called that because they were part of his vision. All right, we'll understand that. So, verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. Verse 26. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war desolations are determined. Verse 27. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now, did you get all that? All right. Now, here's what happens. Go back to verse 24, please, Brother Jerry. Here's what happens. We do our daily Bible reading, and we read, oh, today's Daniel 9. And we read that, and we go, yeah, I read it. I don't have a clue what I just read, but I marked it on my list. And that's okay sometimes. But Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy 2 and 15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Somebody asked me the other day, I believe it was Patrick, what does it mean rightly dividing? It means to rightly search out and understand Scripture so we get a proper context and understanding, not putting our own spin on it. But what do, digging to understand what does the Scripture really say. And so this is important. I was praying tonight, and I found myself praying that scripture about 
rightly dividing. And I felt like the Holy Ghost said to me, people often seek approval of men because they don't have the approval of God. And the reason they're struggling for the approval of God is because they don't study the word. And if they'd study the word, it shows them approved unto God. Now, I'm not saying if you never study, God doesn't approve of you. He may not approve of that lack in your life. But the idea is the more I study the word of God, I begin to understand he approves me. I get approval from him. I don't no longer seek it from men. That comes from studying the word of God. All right. So back to verse 24. I want you to watch here, and we're going to start moving quick now, okay? Seventy weeks are determined upon your people. Thy people and upon thy holy city. I want to stop with just that line, okay? Who are thy people? Who? Okay. This is important. This is a prophecy about Israel. We good? And upon thy holy city. What's that? Jerusalem. See, we understand this, don't we? We, we got to slow down a minute. This is not a prophecy to the church. I want that to sink in for a minute. We can't try to make a prophecy that is to Israel fit the church. Some people say, well, the church is spiritual Israel. The church has elements that we get promises that were made to Israel that come to us. But we need to understand, and if we have time, we'll get there tonight before we finish. We'll probably finish there. The church does not replace Israel. Israel is God's chosen people. And the church does not replace them. All right? Some of you are wrestling wondering about that, but that's okay. Seventy weeks. Now, we need to understand this principle right here first. Seventy weeks are not seventy weeks like you and I think of a week has seven days. Okay? The word weeks there is a Hebrew word, shabua, and I probably said that wrong, and it doesn't matter if you memorize it. But that translation there is literally 77s, okay? And so 70 weeks is 70 sets of seven years. You with me? So 77, 70 weeks here is actually 490 years. If you have an Amplified Bible, anybody have an Amplified right now that you're looking at? Sister Sandra, what does it say in your Amplified for the first line of verse 24? All right. Yeah, so if you've got an Amplified, the Amplified will say 490 years. Okay? So that's important to understand. Right? Makes a big difference, doesn't it? So 490 years are determined upon your people, Israel, and upon your holy city, Jerusalem. Now, there's six things that are going to happen in these 70 weeks. 
right? And they're here in this verse. Number one, to finish the transgression is finish something at the beginning or the end. The end, okay? To finish the transgression. Whose transgression? Whose? Israel's. See, I'm, I know we're sort of moving slow, but I want us to, I want us to grasp this, okay? So, to finish the transgression, Israel's transgression, and to make an end of sins. Whose sins? Israel's. This is a prophecy to Israel. And to make reconciliation for iniquity. And to bring in everlasting righteousness. That's forever. And to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. That word most holy there, when you see most holy used there the way it is in the Hebrew, it's the most holy place or things. Okay, it's not a person or people. All right, you can look that up in the Hebrew and you'll see it to say things or places. All right. Now I want to run back through those real quick. This isn't going to be our focus, but I just want you to see this. Question. What do you believe is Israel's transgression? I'm going to tell you and you're going to go like, well, yeah. If you were a Jew and it was the end of time. And you finally got revelation, what would you think your greatest transgression would have been as a Jew? They rejected the Messiah. They rejected the Messiah. That is their transgression. You'll understand that from this. But you also need to recognize what the word of God says. And I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Seventy weeks are determined. To finish. The transgression. They're going to endure 490 years of dealing with that transgression before he says, okay, I'm going to finish the transgression. All right. To make an end of sins, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. To make reconciliation for iniquity, I think that's self-explanatory. Watch. To bring in everlasting righteousness. Not just to bring in righteousness. Everlasting. All right. This means when he does this, it's forever. And to seal up the vision and prophecy. If you study that phrase right there, it means to close up or to where there is no longer prophets or the need for the word any longer. Because all will be accomplished. So now there will be a sealing up of prophecy. There's no longer a need for a prophet to come and declare words to Israel or to people any longer. Because the, he's finished it. This is the end. Okay. And to anoint the most holy. Now, this can be, again, things or places, and this could point to a couple of things. 
It could be the temple or it could be the city of Jerusalem. Now, I want you to understand something here. We're not going to go into this tonight. We may go into it later. I happen to know Brother Berglund's working on a study about it, so maybe this jog your memory when he, if he, however that works out. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back. And the scripture tells us he's going to enter Jerusalem through the eastern gate. All right? We're not studying all that tonight. But it's in there. The eastern gate, by the way, right now is closed off. Interestingly enough, Muslim nations did that so that Israel Messiah could not come back through that gate. But the scripture tells us when he returns, he'll come through the eastern gate and that he will set down on the mount. The mount in Jerusalem, the mount where the temple is. That's why there's so much war through the years over that mount. The temple mount, that's why it's... And so what we read here when it says that he will seal up the vision and anoint the most holy, at the end of 70 weeks will be the beginning... The beginning of the Lord's reign upon the earth. All right? You with me? He will come and set his feet there and anoint the most holy place. There will no longer need to be prophets any longer. We're talking about Israel here, not the church. Israel. Okay? Verse 2, or 25, sorry. Next verse. Now, I want you, this is important. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem. That's important, isn't it? He just gave a time marker to Daniel. Daniel, from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. From that commandment. Unto the Messiah, the Prince, is going to be seven weeks and three score in two weeks. Okay, mathematicians, how long is seven weeks and three score in two weeks? 69 weeks. Three score and two, a score is 20. Now, isn't it interesting that Gabriel didn't just say, it shall be Excuse me, it shall be 69 weeks. We'll understand in a minute. So, now remember where we started, Daniel 9 and 1, the first year of Darius. Now, if you look in your Bible or if you go back and look at history, but if you have a Bible, oftentimes at the beginning of a chapter over on the side column, it'll give you a date that tells you about what time that was. And I'd say if most of you look in your Bible, it will say 538 or 539 B.C., Beside that date, or beside Daniel chapter 9. If you don't have it in there, I promise you that's in there. Okay? But Daniel, keep in mind, Daniel is writing and declaring a prophecy of something in the future. And the Lord, through Gabriel, has told him that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem... Well, that hasn't happened yet when Daniel is saying this. You understand? And so we've got to find out 
when did the commandment go forth to restore and build Jerusalem? And that will be the beginning of this 70 weeks. Does that make sense to everybody? You following me? More importantly, are you following the word here? Everybody okay with that? Yeah? Okay. This is important. So from that going forth of the commandment to build Jerusalem, that's the beginning of the 70 weeks. Now, some people get confused about this. There's different schools of thought. Some people say it's when Ezra was on the scene. The challenge is if you study Scripture, Ezra, through the king, received a commandment to rebuild the temple, not to rebuild the city. Okay, the prophecy is very clear here. To rebuild or to restore and build Jerusalem. So let's go back to the book of Nehemiah. You probably know, if you didn't, you will now, the books of the Old Testament are not in chronological order the way they're placed in your Bible. Okay? So just because Nehemiah is several books before Daniel doesn't mean Nehemiah was written before Daniel. As a matter of fact, it was not. Okay? So that's important to understand. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse number 1. You there? Watch. And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of our Artaxerxes, the king. Why does that matter? Why? Time stamp, right? Time stamp. We now have a time stamp. The 20th year of Artaxerxes the king in the month Nisan. Now, there is a, an agreed-upon rule in Scripture when you see something like this, where you see a month and a year, but you don't see a day. Oftentimes, you'll see in the 14th day of Nisan, or right? But here, we don't see a day. It just says month and 20th year of Artaxerxes. The general rule is if there is no day given, it is assumed the first day of the month. Okay? So we've identified it's the month of Nisan, and we know that it's the 20th year that Artaxerxes was king. So you can go back in history, and you can look when Artaxerxes became king. And you can go to the 20th year of our tax Artaxerxes, and you can look at the month of Nisan, and you will know, okay, this is the date that I'm looking at. Does that make sense? Time stamps. The Word of God is so perfect. The Word of God is so perfect. Now watch. During that year, the king, wine was before him, and I, this is Nehemiah, took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore, the king said to me, why is your countenance sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad, watch, when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. Notice, Nehemiah's mourning over the city. Which city is he mourning over, do you think? Jerusalem. 
Verse 4. Then the king said to me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me to Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it, that he may build what? The city. And the king said to me, the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Moreover, I said to the king, If it please the king, watch, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace which appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Now go back to Daniel 9, verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. Artaxerxes gave letters and decreed for Nehemiah to go back and build Jerusalem. You with me? Now I want you to understand something. Again, if you have those dates in your Bible, or if you just go look at history, the 20th year of Artaxerxes, it would have been 445 B.C. 445 B.C. Again, Daniel, where we read in Daniel 9 and 1, was 538 B.C. Remember, B.C., the higher the number, the further back it is. So it was approximately 538 B.C. when Daniel gave this prophecy. It was 445 B.C. when Nehemiah got the letters and the decree to go rebuild Jerusalem. Daniel heard from Gabriel at the commandment of the Lord and prophesied this. If you do the math, 93 years before it happened. It was 93 years later. My numbers are right there in my head. 38, 45. <laughs> it might not be the right number, but <laughs> go from 538 to 445. Yeah, subtract 38 and then 55, 38 and 55. So whatever that is, 93. So it was 93 years. You think men forget stuff over 93 years? Yeah. But watch. This is important because this is the starting in time of 70 weeks. Okay? I'm going to show you this from Scripture. Starting in time of these 70 weeks. This is important tonight because really all the rest of prophecy hangs on this. 
We need this basic understanding of these 70 weeks because everything else in prophecy hinges on this because this is to Israel. Okay? That's why this is so important. All right. So, 70 weeks now, starting from this prophecy, and we have... At this starting point, it will be, verse 25 there, seven weeks and three score and two weeks unto the Messiah, the Prince. You see that? Scripture just told them the date the Messiah would come. And they missed it. Seven weeks and 62 weeks from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince. Is that what it says? All right. So I have a question. Who's got a calculator? All right. I've got hands everywhere. So here you go. You can, you can all do it. Seven and 62 is 69. We agree. You don't need a calculator for that, hopefully. All right? So 69 weeks, but we've already agreed it's 69 sevens, right? So it's 69 seven-year periods. So what's 69 times seven? 483. Okay? Now, 483 years... From the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince. Yes? Now, typically what we would do, because we're in America and we use a Gregorian calendar, we would multiply that 483 by what number to figure out the days? We would use 365. The Jews don't use a 365-day calendar. Okay, this is important. The Jews every month has 30 days. They have a 360-day year. All right? You okay? All right. So I want you to multiply 483 by 360. What would you get? 173,880? Is that close? Yeah? It works sometimes. No, I'm kidding. All right. So that's how many days from the going forth of the commandment to restore Jerusalem to the coming of the Messiah. Now, divide that number by 365 just so you can get Gregorian calendar years. It's like 476.35 or 53 or something like that. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So now I want you to watch. When did the going forth of the commandment take place? You guys remember? Or did anybody write it down? 445 B.C., right? 20th year of Ataxerxes in the month of Nisan. 445. Okay. You've got 476 on your calculator, right? Because you did. So what's 476? What is that number minus 445? What is it? 31. All right. Now, here's the thing. When it was 1 B.C., what was the next year? 
Yeah. It was 1 A.D. There was no 0 A.D. All right? So you didn't have year 0. So your number that says 31 right now should say 32. Does that make sense? Because there's no year 0. You with me? So 32 A.D. Pretty important time. Hold your hand in Daniel and go with me to Luke chapter 19. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Luke 19. Verse 32, the disciples have been sent to get a colt. Verse 32, and they that were sent went their way and found even as he said to them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said to them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt. And they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said to him, Master, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, watch. And he said to them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Verse 41, and when he was come near, he beheld the city. What city? He beheld the city and he wept over it, saying, If you had known... Even you, at least in this your day. What does he mean, at least in this your day? I get it if people had passed before and they didn't see it in the natural like you're seeing it right now. Or maybe those afterwards that won't be here, but you're living right now. If you had known, even you, at least in this your day, the things which belong to your peace. But now are they hid from your eyes. For the days will come upon you that your enemies shall cast a trench about you and compass you round and keep you in on every side. And shall lay you even with the ground and your children within you. And they shall not leave in you one stone upon another. Because you knew not the time You didn't know the time of your visitation. Verse 45, and he went into the temple. Go back to Daniel with me. 
I want to tell you something that Jewish scholars have done. They've taken from the first of Nisan in the 20th year of our tax exercise and calculated 173,880 days. And it lands in 32 A.D. on Palm Sunday. The date of what we call his triumphal entry. Sixty-nine weeks. Verse 26. Why does this matter? And after... 62 weeks. Notice. Oh, sorry. Let's go back to verse 25. So we see a full 69 weeks. Why did he say 7 and 62? Here's something that's really interesting. From the time of the decree going forth to rebuild Jerusalem... It was 49 years until Jerusalem was completed. What's seven times seven? Seven weeks. And 62 weeks. So 69 weeks we see the coming of the Messiah. As promised. Verse 26. And after, everybody say after. After. Okay. After the 62 weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. What is this speaking of? His crucifixion. He was cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince... Now, here I think we understand this is a different prince than Messiah the prince. You with me? The earlier verse, we see Messiah the prince, prince with a capital P. Here we see prince with a lowercase. The people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, what's interesting, if you read this, when Daniel is writing, prophesying this, Jerusalem is still in shambles. They're captive in Babylon. And he's telling them earlier, it's going to be built in the wall, even in troublous times. But now he's saying, after the Messiah is cut off, it's going to be destroyed again. That's what Jesus was talking about when he stood there after he made his triumphal entry. And he said, because you don't recognize it today, there's not even going to be one stone left. He was declaring what Daniel had also declared, that this is going to be destroyed. When he said the temple, there's not going to be one stone left upon another. He was declaring what Daniel had declared 483 years before. How precious is the word of God. What's interesting is if you study history, approximately 70 A.D., um, the Roman Empire moved into Jerusalem, we can search, probably Google it, and Titus was the Roman general, 
and they destroyed Israel just as Daniel and as the Lord Jesus had declared would happen. And the city was destroyed and the sanctuary. And the temple has not been rebuilt. Yet. Yet. So you can see why these 70 weeks are so important to Israel. But there's one week left. Right? We've covered 69. There's one week left. Now. There is a gap. Between the 69th week and the 70th week. Okay. This gap is known as in scripture. We know it as the fullness of the Gentiles. All right. It's also referred to often as the church age. We'll dig more into that in weeks ahead when we get into Revelation, okay? It's the gap between the 69th and the 70th week. The 70th week has not began yet. Verse 27 tells us, and he, he is now the people of the prince, or the prince of the people that destroyed Jerusalem, okay? Obviously, it's not the same person. It's the same spirit behind it, the prince of the people, okay? He will confirm the covenant with many. All right, he's going to confirm the covenant, not with the world. Who are we talking about here? Israel. This is important. He's going to confirm the covenant with many. That means everybody won't be in agreement. Didn't say all. But most of Israel is going to agree for one week. How long is one week? Seven years. He's going to confirm this covenant for seven years. And in the midst of the week, what's the midst of a seven years? Three and a half years. In the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. For the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation and the determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now, if you go read, we're not going to do it tonight, but if you go read Matthew 24, you will see the Lord Jesus Speaking of the end of time and speaking of the abomination of desolations. This is what he's talking about. What is that? Quick overview without going into the depth of it. Here's what happens. He that confirms the covenant is going to be the Antichrist. He's going to make a covenant with Israel. They're going to be deceived as though he's the Messiah. This is why Jesus said there will be many come say my name that don't believe him. Okay. They're going to enter into a covenant with him. Many. Some won't believe. Some will say something's not right here. Something's wrong. But they're going to enter into this covenant with him. When they do, that's the beginning of the last week. Okay? And three and a half years into that process, he's going to set everything up. They're going to rebuild the temple. They're going to begin sacrifices again in the temple. And, th and they're, everything's going to seem like it's okay. But three and a half years in, he's going to step up and say, nope, you know what? It doesn't. And he's going to come in and he's going to set up his throne in the temple. It's an abomination of desolation. He's going to do this in the midst. 
Now, this last week or these seven years, that is the 70th week, is what we often refer to as the seven years of tribulation, or it is called Jacob's trouble. All right? Now, who is this prophecy written to? Israel. Not the church. I don't plan on being here for the 70th week. And we'll dig more into that at another time. Okay? I want to go one other place in Scripture before we finish tonight. Romans chapter 11. I pray this is helpful. I know it's simplistic walking through those things, but I pray that it brings us a conviction about the Word of God. How perfect it is, how clear it is. He was more than just a man. He was God robed in the flesh. All right. Romans chapter 11. I'm going to read fast for sake of time. Verse 1 Paul is writing, appealing. I say then, hath God cast away his people? Who's his people? Israel. God forbid, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. What ye not that the scripture saith of Elias, how he makes intercession of God against Israel, saying, Lord, they've killed thy prophets. Dig down thine altars. I'm left alone. They seek my life. But what says the answer of God to him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. He's appealing. He's appealing. He's appealing. Fast forward. Verse 7. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it. Who's the election? Us. The church. Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Verse 8, according as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, ears that they should not hear, unto this day. And David said, let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. This is where it matters to you and I. Did Israel stumble that they might fall? God forbid. Remember the transgression? The transgression was their rejection of the Messiah. He's going to finish that in the 70th week, at the end of the 70th week. That's going to be the second coming of Christ. Not the catching away of the church. That's not the second coming of Christ. We need to understand that those are different things. Okay? The Lord will return for His church... But the scripture says, we will be caught away to meet him in the air. That's not his second coming to the earth. He's not coming to the earth when he catches his church away. He's going to split the clouds and we're going to be caught away and meet him in the air. All right. The second coming is at the end of 70, at the end of the 70th week, at the end of tribulation, he'll finish the transgression 
He'll bring everlasting righteousness. There will no longer be a need for prophecy. And he'll anoint the holy place. That's because he'll come through the eastern gate and he'll set down his feet on the temple and begin the millennial reign. Okay? You with me? Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. This is just so much good stuff. Have they stumbled that they should fall? No, God forbid, boss. But watch. Rather, through their fall, their transgression, salvation is come to the Gentiles. To you, to me. They rejected him. And it began this period that they're living in. And they're going to have tribulation for their rejection of him. But this gap between the 69th week and the 70th week is the church age. It's what we're living in. And it's been going for about 2,000 years. And a lot of theologians say that's about as long as it's promised. We're coming to the end of time. As the church would know it. Now watch. Through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Why? To provoke them to jealousy. I lost my place here. Verse 12. Now, if the fall, watch, if the fall of them, Israel, be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them be the riches of us, the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? What's going to happen when he fully restores them? Man, what's that going to be like? For I speak to you Gentiles, and as much as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. He's trying to get some Jews to wake up before the time. For if the casting away of them is the reconciling of the world, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. If the casting away of the Jews, remember he was cut off but not for himself. He was cut off for the Jews. If the casting away of them is the reconciling of the world, what will the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. Now, I want you to see this. This is important to us, and I know I'm reading a lot. But And if some of the branches be broken off, and you, everybody say me, being a wild olive tree, that means not natural, if you're a wild olive tree and you were grafted in among them and with them, we partake of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. You will say then, oh, sorry, verse 18, boast not against the branches. Don't start saying, going, well, I've made it. Those sorry Jews, Israel, that, oh, no, they're still his chosen people. Boast not against the branches. But if you boast, you don't bear the root. He's the root. Jesus Christ is the root and the offspring of David. And if I start boasting against the Jews because I have the revelation of the Messiah and they missed it, I don't have the heart or I don't bear the root. Does that make sense? But the root, the. Verse 19, you will say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, or true. 
Because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Don't be high-minded, but fear. Why? For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed. Take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God. On them which fell, severity. But toward you and I, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you shall be cut off. Man. Verse 23, and they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Watch verse 25. For I would not have you, I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. That blindness in part is happened to Israel until, everybody say, until. Until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. This gap between the 69th week and the 70th week is the fullness of the Gentiles. And there's going to come a point where the Lord says, okay, I'm done reaching to the Gentile nations. And that's going to be the end or the time of the Gentiles. Right now we're in the fullness of the Gentiles. But when he says it's the time of the Gentiles and it's over. The blindness is going to be removed from Israel. And it's going to be the beginning of that 70th week. You with me? What does that mean? Verse 26. And so. All Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them. When I shall what? What was one of those six things that he was going to do? This is my covenant with them when I shall take away their sins. I got to finish reading this. You can stand with me. Verse 28. Now watch where this wild olive tree graft in. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. What's he saying? Right now, this gospel you're preaching of Christ, the Jews are your enemy. They're saying, no, he hasn't come yet. You're wrong. That's not the Messiah. We don't believe the New Testament. They're enemies for your sakes. But touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. We use that verse out of context a lot. Now we see how it's being. He said, hey, 
the gift I promised to Israel and my calling of them as my people, I'm not taking it back. Verse 30, for as you in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed to him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things to who be glory forever. Amen. Now, do you see how significant that passage of Romans 11 is that we were grafted in? And now understanding that frame of reference where the Apostle Paul said they were removed, but he's going to bring them back in. When the fullness of the Gentile, don't be high-minded, but fear. Don't think, get conceited in your thoughts, but recognize you've been grafted in. It was then that he started chapter 12. Of course, he wrote one letter. He didn't start a new chapter. He shared all of those things regarding the privilege of being grafted in. And that if we, don't, if we don't abide in his goodness, that he would cut us off. And this privilege of being grafted into the body... He shared all of that and wanted to bring an understanding to the Gentiles, to us, of this great privilege we've been granted because of the transgression of Israel. And so he continues after declaring all of that and says in verse 1 of chapter 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You see, the context in which he made that plea was understanding you were a wild olive tree and I was a wild olive tree. And there's a week yet determined upon the people of Israel that's going to be seven years of tribulation. But you've been grafted in and there's a fullness of your time that's going to come. So I'm begging you by God's mercy that you present your body living sacrifice to him. Verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Daniel's 70 weeks. We will move into Revelation, I believe, next week. And if you have questions about anything we've shared tonight, please don't hesitate to come ask. Um, I pray that this gets into our spirit, that we realize how precise our Lord was. And how all of prophecy hinges around these 70 weeks for Israel. Because they're his people. And now we have a greater understanding of why what we're living in is called grace. He's giving us grace. He's giving us grace. 
Why don't you find a place and talk to him? Would you do that before you go? We won't dismiss tonight. Just find a place and talk to the Lord. And then when you're ready, just feel free, slip out, uh, dismiss yourself. Thank you for the privilege, Lord, of being grafted in. Thank you for the privilege of being grafted in. Thank you for the privilege of being grafted in, Lord. Thank you for coming. Thank you for robing yourself in flesh and dwelling among us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for grafting us in. Let us abide in your goodness, Lord. Let us abide in your goodness, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Let us abide in your goodness. Oh, God, show us and lead us that we might present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you, which is our reasonable service that we remain grafted in. For if you remove the natural branch, you would certainly remove the wild branch. But, oh, I thank you for this privilege of being grafted in. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you for the fullness of the Gentiles. Thank you for this church age, this space you've given to us. This place you've given us, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, we present our bodies a living sacrifice. We present our bodies.